Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Good morning. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're at the start of a new series. Um, so kind of praying about what we should go over, and I, I, I really struggled with this, but um, I know I just, we just, I just felt pulled to Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus. And so we're going to be spending the next several months going over the book of Exodus. And um, this, this book, it tells the, the amazing story of God's redemption of the people of Israel from slavery. Um, and despite the hardship and suffering that they faced while slaves in Egypt, God did not forget his people or his promise to bless them throughout the world. Um, throughout the rest of scripture, God's action in Exodus, there, it's referred to over and over again um, to remind Israel of God's goodness. So it, it's almost like the Exodus story is Israel's testimony. Okay, it's that thing that they tell themselves over and over again to remind them that God is good, that God saves them, that God saved them. So understanding this story is key to understanding a lot of the Bible and how God works. And historically, it's a book that's given hope to anybody that's ever felt oppressed or forgotten. It shows how God's justice and righteousness and love will triumph over evil. And it, it was, it's a book that was considered subversive. Um, even way back, you know, in the time of uh, the forced conversion of African slaves during the tran transatlantic slave era, um, this book was forbidden to be taught. Okay, people, people didn't preach it. Um, it, was, it was often forbidden to be taught, I should say. Um, it was not preached from. And even if slaves were being allowed to learn how to read, often their Bibles would not have this book in it. It would be edited out um, because it was too dangerous. It was considered too dangerous for enslaved people to read. But, of course, um, it's written all over the Bible, right? The, the Bible is constantly referring to it. They can't get rid of the story. And so despite its taboo nature, the story still got out and it, and it provided hope to the abolition movement and then later to the civil rights movement, okay? And, and all of this is, is part of the reason why we're studying it, because it's the story of God showing up in the middle of despair, redeeming a people, and then teaching them how to follow God in a fallen world. Uh, broadly speaking, the book's kind of split into two parts. Okay, There's the actual story part, and then there's the instruction part. Um, now, obviously, the story is viewed as the more exciting part, right? It's the story of God's redemption of Israel, how he freed them from the tyranny of Egypt, so a lot of actions. And the instructions, though, um, they kind of deal with the, okay, so now what? So we're saved, um, but what, from slavery, but what do we do now? How are we supposed to live now? And honestly, I think the now what in many ways is uh, the part that's really relevant for the church today. Huh, how do we live after God saves us? Like, how, how are we supposed to construct our lives? Now, some of the particular ways that God instructs Israel to you know, order themselves isn't going to directly apply, right? But the principles that God's putting into place are timeless. 
Okay, God's still leading us. Okay, that's just a very brief introduction to the book before we get into things. Um, another thing, it's long. It's 40 chapters. And so we're not going to be going verse by verse through it. That would take us years. And uh, so we're going to try to cruise through it in a couple months. Um, but even though I'm not going to go over the entire book, it's still God's word. Um, there's so much that we can learn about God and humanity and how we're to relate to God and how God is at work in our world. So, I encourage you, as I'm preaching through this, perhaps this might be a book that you read during your devotions, um, during your devotional time. Maybe read it two or three times, okay, because we're going to be going slower than what you can read it. And 40 chapters when you're reading is really not that much. Uh, and there, there's a lot of stuff I just won't be able to cover, not because it's not important or there aren't valuable lessons to be learned, but just because of time and our space together. Um, and that's one of the differences that we have between, you know, choosing to preach through something rather than teach through something. Um, so, that's, that's, that's all that. Now, the events in Exodus, they take place a few hundred years after the events in Genesis. Well, about 400 years. In Genesis, God called Abram out from all of the peoples of the earth, and he made a covenant with Abram, telling him, Abram, who meant good father, that you're going to have lots of descendants. You're going to have lots of descendants. So many descendants that God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means, you know, instead of like, you know, exalted father or good father, to the father of many. You're going to be a father of many. Okay. And God is going to make his descendants into a nation. Okay, so it's not just a family, but a whole nation um, with a land to call their own. And so for two generations, his descendants, they made their home in the wilderness, leading a semi-nomadic life as shepherds, you know, still kind of waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. But then there was a famine in the land. And, and, and one of the families um, that were descendants of uh, Jacob, uh, or descendants of Abraham, was the family of Jacob whose name was later changed to Israel. A lot of changing of names in here. He had 12 sons. And during this time of famine, he moved to Egypt, where one of his sons, Joseph, uh, was kind of got there. That's a whole story next to, or in Genesis. And he rose to prominence as a chief advisor to Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh is a, is a title. And so Joseph had the Egyptians store up grain and preparations for the coming famine. God kind of revealed to, to him, and he was able to interpret the signs. And the Israelites did very well in Egypt. They grew and they were prosperous. In fact, they were so prosperous that after the famine was over, they stayed for 400 years. They didn't go back. All right. That's all, that's all the background I'm going to go, go over, just to give you kind of a sense of where we are in the broader story. So we're going to start reading Exodus chapter 1. And we're going to skip over to uh, verse 8. We're going to start on verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave our country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of works in the fields 
in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked, worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that a baby is born, a baby is a boy, sorry, if you see that a baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. But let every girl live. Notice how that Israel's oppression started. A king that didn't care about Joseph came into power. He forgot about how Joseph led Egypt to build granaries, how he saved the nation. And this new Pharaoh... He was afraid of the Israelites' prosperity and their growing population. He was worried about what the Israelites would do. I mean, he first he was concerned that the Israelites might ally themselves with some hostile power and then overthrow the nation. Right? He saw them as a threat to their national security. They were so numerous that they were hard to control. And the second thing he was afraid of was that the Israelites would leave Egypt. Right? This is a thriving population. Imagine if all, like, all of your workers just left. They didn't want them to go. Um, that it would wreck their economy. And then there'd be a hostile group, like a potentially hostile group, like right outside their borders. Who knows what they might do? So Pharaoh didn't like them, but he didn't want them to leave. He needed them to be under his control. And so he came up with a plan. And, and it's the type of plan we see too often. It, it, it's a plan that the world comes up time and time again. If there's a group of people, people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, if you're scared of them, then you put controls on them. Right? You, 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 you kind of box them in. You, you say, this is the way that you live. So Pharaoh, he decided to make them slaves. He declared the Israelites would be slaves, and he forced them into hard labor. He thought the brutal conditions would break the spirits of the Israelites, and the hard work would keep their population under control, right? Because they'd be too exhausted, they wouldn't be able to percolate as much, and, or like they would just die because they were just worked to death. But that plan didn't work. The Israelites still grew in number. And he continued to fear the Israelites. And so when Pharaoh realized that the work alone wouldn't reduce the population, he placed two midwives, two midwives in charge of all of the Israelite births. And he told them their job was to kill any boy that is born. No. He only wanted to kill the boys, not the girls. Well, Pharaoh wasn't planning genocide. Okay? If he wanted to destroy the population, he'd kill the girls. Because that's how you control a population. Um, but he wanted Israel to remain under control. Remember, he didn't want the Israelites to leave. And so, so you know, he'd kill the boys so they'd be dispirited, right? So there wouldn't be a generation of sons that would grow up and be angry, right? They'd be, they'd be lesser in numbers because, you know, thinking that women would be easier to control, which is kind of ironic because uh, he's asking, he thinks women are going to be easier to control, and these two women... He's going to find out are, are not that easy to control. <laughs> um, so he ordered those midwives to have all the boys killed. 
And now, now I want to spend a little time with these two midwives, uh, Shifra and Pua. Um, we don't know anything about them, <laughs> besides that they're midwives. Um, but the first mention of God in this book occurs with these two women. Uh, verse 17 tells us, The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Now, uh, that's the first time God's mentioned so far. And there's a lot of um, discussion in, about this verse. This is kind of a hot topic verse because, uh, with biblical scholars, because from the names and the context, it's unclear if the midwives are Egyptian or is Israelites. Um, so, you know, they, they just can't tell. And so history's gone along, a lot of seeing them one way and a lot of seeing them the other way. Um, you know, they feared God, so maybe they're Israelites, but then why would Pharaoh tell a couple of Israelite midwives to kill their babies, you know, and put them in charge of this, this genocide plan? So it seems like, in that sense, maybe it, it should be Egyptians. Um, I lean towards them being Egyptians, but it's unclear. Scripture's unclear. But what we do know is that Pharaoh demanded these two women, these two midwives, whose job was literally to help life. I mean, that's what a midwife is, right? A woman that helps a birthing mother have babies safely. A Pharaoh ordered that this life-giving work be turned from life-giving to death-taking. And th these two women, uh, Shifra and Pua, they're in the middle, and they're placed in a confrontation between the God of the Israelites and the God of Egypt. Now, to be, to be clear, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. And, and Pharaoh, it, it's like refers to the king, but also kind of refers to like the government, like the White House. So it kind of refers to both. Um, and it also kind of refers to the, the, the religion, the faith. Um, the, the king that was also the religious leader of the Egyptians, uh, he acted as a priest, as a representative of the people to the gods and the gods to the people. And even more so, he was not considered just a priest. He was considered to be equal to the gods. Okay, so he, he was a god himself, and he's considered equal to God. And so, this now becomes a confrontation between the power of the god of Egypt and the god of the Israelites. And it all rests on Shifra and Pua. And this is the way that God works. He works through the smallest and the lowliest of people. Um, midwives were not considered to be honorable professions. Um, sure, they're probably respected, you know, kind of in the community, especially among the women. But um, let's face it, throughout history, uh, women's work, and really uh, midwife is like the ultimate women's work, uh, is often viewed as lowly, lowly work. It's often viewed as a lower status. And these women, despite their low status, they stood up to Pharaoh. Okay? They, they subverted Pharaoh's desires. They did not kill the babies. They would defy the god of their age, the god of the country, the god of Egypt, that demanded that children be killed so that their people would be keep, kept weak and enslaved. They defied that god. They stood up to him. Okay, well, they didn't exactly stood up because they did it in secret. Um... In church, I, I say this all the time, and I'll keep saying it. When we're faced with choices in our lives, 
how we make that choice matters. Why we choose what we choose matters. And if you have to make a choice interfaced with an ethical dilemma, when you have to follow a course of action and you don't know what to do, always choose the path that looks like Jesus. Always choose the path that leads to Jesus. The path that protects the least of these, the path that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit, right? that demonstrates compassion, that nurtures goodness. That's the path you always should choose, the path of love. Because the road that does not lead to Jesus leads to death. Jesus is the answer, always. Now, the, the midwives did not know Jesus, right? This is hundreds of years before Jesus was born. But when they were ordered to kill by a God that demanded the death of innocence, the midwives chose to honor life. Uh, verse, verse 17, this verse says that the women feared God. Right? And, and, and that word fear is a loaded word. It means scared, and it also means respected, honor, not wanting to disappoint or anger. That's what they chose to align themselves with. That's what they chose to fear. They chose to obey a God that was on the side of life rather than one that demanded death. And through these women's choice, God worked to save the people of Israel. Uh, God used the faithful, loving actions of a couple of women to save his people. Now, of course, Pharaoh is upset by this, right? He called the midwives to him. He's like, why? Why are you letting them live? But they're wily. And they're smart. And they used Pharaoh's own prejudice against them, right? They told him that the Israelite women were vigorous. Not like, not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous. Uh, so, and, um, and, and that's actually the way it's kind of written. It's kind of a... Uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of insulting almost. He's, he's, he's like saying that the Israelite women are like animals, right? Like a wild animal, a, a caribou in the wild, they'll have their baby, and then them and the baby will take off before the predators come. That's what those Israelite women are. They're vigorous. They can just have that baby, go back to work before anything happens. Boom. We can't find them. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, that's why we got to kill them. And so, uh, so Pharaoh's plan was thwarted. And God continued to bless the Israelites, and they grew in number. And God blessed the midwives that were helping the babies escape death. Right? And that, that's one of the things. Life begets more life. Right? That's the way life works. That's the way God works. Life begets more life. Because God is the God of the living. And following him means taking a stand for life. And I'm not talking about abortion, though that applies as well. But I'm talking about all the things that help life flourish. Because God wants life to bloom. God wants us to be prosperous. We're not talking about money prosperous, but maybe that, but in experience, in passion, right? In joy, in the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, John 10, 9 through 10. Hear the words of Jesus. This is the words of Jesus. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Right? That's what Jesus offers, right? right? And the Father, the Father is like the Son. Okay, we, we get, sometimes we think of the Old Testament God as the angry, wrathful God. No, 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 the Son's like the Father, the Father's like the Son. There's a family resemblance, you know, they, they look like each other. And God's the God of life. And God wants us to have a life, to the full, to the full, not just to barely scrape by, and that's what God wants for the Israelites. He does not want them to be slaves. He did not want them to be overworked and oppressed. I mean, because a slave, a slave doesn't even have their own life. 
right? So their master has their life. A slave doesn't even have life, their own life. But God wanted them to have life. He wanted it for Israel then, and he wants, it. he wants it for us now. He wants us to have life. Even when the gods around us, even when the things around us point to death, God wants us to choose life. That's something that we always have to face with. What am I going to do? Am I going to choose a way to lead to death? Am I going to continue to, to kill myself? Or am I going to live in a path that's encouraging? That's filled with encouragement, right? That blesses other people. Choose life. Now, of course, Pharaoh is angry that the Israelites continue to prosper. And so he doubles down on death. Um, and instead of just making some powerless women uh, complicit in his schemes, he turns the whole country against Israel. Uh, Pharaoh did not know the fear of God. He did not honor God, and he led his people against God. Because he demanded then that all the people, all of Egypt, help kill the sons of Israel. Anyone that found an Israelite boy was to throw him into the river. Okay? So it's no longer just to the, those two midwives. He puts it on all of his people. Okay, if you find a boy, you find a baby boy, throw him in the river. Okay, they're, they're going to be drowned, they'll be eaten by crocodiles, whatever. Something's going to happen to them. And that horrible injustice, that murder of the Israelite babies by the people of Egypt, um, that's going to come back into the story later. Okay? Um, you know, we, we, so this is kind of foreshadowing things that are going to happen to Egypt. But that's where we're going to stop with this story this week. Um, we're going to continue to see the consequences of of a society that demands the death of innocence. That's built on oppression. And uh, I do have to say, I think that kind of asks us, what kind of world are we living in? And what kind of world are we building? All right, who are we encouraging? Who are we taking in? How are we supporting one another? How are we looking out for the least of these? Are we a people of life? Are we encouraging life? Okay. I mean, even this morning. Uh, this morning, just, just to tell you guys, I'll, I'll let you in on a little bit. Um, so this morning, there's a homeless guy. I let him in. Sure, yeah, he, he came in right away. And uh, so turns out he'd, he'd been smoking pot in the, the men's room. It reeks in there. Um, so if you go to the men's room, that's why. Um, we had to, you know, tell him, put it out. <laughs> Ask him to leave. But that's what happens, right? Like, things like this happen sometimes, right? Um, so how many of you guys were in, a couple years ago, there was a person, um, another homeless person walked down the aisle, and they started yelling for uh, Pastor Max, uh, when Pastor Max was here, um, because uh, she wanted to use the kitchen, and she wasn't allowed to use the kitchen until after church was done. Um, and so, so it made her upset, okay? That, that sort of thing just happens, that's the consequence of living with people, okay? And we help them, okay? Yeah, there are things that happen. Of course, we have, we've asked people to leave. Um, I've, I've had to ask people to leave. Uh, there was a, a, a woman here one time. Uh, this was spring break, I think, two years ago, three years ago. And uh, I saw so I had my kids with me at work. And, uh, and uh, she, she was a homeless woman that used to hang out sometimes. And, uh, and 
she's well, she has her mental issues, and uh, and she was kind of having a bad day, and so she she looks at my kids and she goes, "Did you know your dad's a murderer?" And you know, you know, kind of freaked them out. Of course, I was like, "Nope." There you go, <laughs> out the door today. <laughs> but uh, but she's still welcome back, right? We're not going to bar the doors from her. That's where she's at. We love anyways. We give a second chance. We do it over and over again. Because that's what Jesus would have us do. Um, last year our computer got stolen. Right? That we do all the sounds and the slides and these things with. That happens. Um, so it was the only group that had access was, yeah, maybe somebody from A kind of hung out and took it afterwards. Sure, now we just got a lock. We locked it up. We didn't tell AA they didn't, couldn't stop. We want to support life. We want to help them. Okay, we're always looking. How are we going to help people? How are we going to bless them? You know, and we want to make sure that we're not enabling bad behavior, right? So we're not going to like, you know, put out, you know, all of our things to, to, to steal or whatever because that will just be enabling bad behavior. But we want to make sure that we do it responsibly and that we can help them. And that if somebody needs help, that we can be in a position to help. That's why we take... Um, donations for our you know poor box and stuff like that. People with needs. We've we've helped people get get shoes. I mean, this is a simple thing. There was a guy who came. He just got a job. Um, he was going to work at the Moose's Tooth. He was homeless. He'd been here before. I, I talked to him a couple times. He needed shoes uh, to work in the kitchen. So we got him shoes, so he could go out and support himself. All right. Um, so. I don't think he was able to keep the job long because there are other things. But we work with people. We enable them. We help them. We help them get his food handler's card so that he can be capable of supporting, supporting himself. How are we going to do that? How are you going to do that? And, I, and this being a small town, I've caught some of you. I've caught some of you doing good in our city. Um, so I've caught people... Um, buying people meals. I have caught people uh, buying people clothes that needed clothes. You guys are doing good things. Keep it up. Keep it up. The world needs you. The city needs you. Okay? We need to learn how to look with our neighbors, not with suspicion, not with hatred and disgust. Okay? We need to look at our, our homeless. Homelessness is a huge issue right now. You know, and I feel like, sorry, I'm, this is all me not being on the sermon. This is just me, like, just thrifting now. Um, and uh, you guys are probably like, it's so hot. But I want you to hear this because this is important and it's relevant. Um, you know, we're, I worry sometimes that in us dealing with this homeless issue is that we're trying to figure out how can we control them? How can we control those homeless people? How can we box them in more? And... I mean, sure, there is a place. Like, how, how can we make sure they have sustainable housing? But it's not to control them. It's so they can flourish, so they can, so they can get help, so they can have an address, so that they can get mail. That's a huge thing, being able to get mail. Uh, so they can get some place to be clean. Um, that's what we need to be looking at with this issue. Not how can we control them, how can we put them in boxes where we don't have to see them or deal with them, but how can we help them and enable them and quick them and bring healing to their lives, to help them live, to live a life abundantly, because that's what we're all called to do. Anyways, 
That's my soapbox. I'll get off of it. And we're going to continue in worship. So, worship team, please come forward. Oh, let's pray. Can never do enough of that. You guys can still come up. Um, God, Lord, I thank you for your example, Lord. Your example throughout Scripture. And Lord, we pray that we can be courageous, that we can stand up um, like these two midwives, that we can stand up against the gods of our age that demand sacrifice, that demands death. Lord, I pray that we can be agents of life. And Lord, we may disagree. We, disagreement's fine. It's good, Lord, but that we can disagree in how we can best point towards life and how we can best help life to flourish. Um, help us with that. Give us soft hearts and strong backs to do your work. In Christ's name, amen.